Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday, the 2nd of the 9th. Michael, how have you been? I'm very well, Gary. Thank you. And on this day of all days, I'm sure you join with me in saying, Je suis Charlie. Yes, yes. It reminds me of that wonderful solidarity, Michael, we all had when the Charlie Hebdo killings happened about five years ago. And they're in the news again because the trial is uh, is starting today, I believe. Yes, it is indeed. Or is it? Is it no, it is today. It's start, yes. Yeah, it's starting. And uh, to mark the occasion, uh, Charlie Hebdo is going to republish the cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, which uh, was the spark for the massacre which occurred in 2015. And I, you know, I do remember that day, Michael, and everyone had the Facebook profile set to I stand with Charlie, and there was this widespread support of the importance of freedom of speech and the, you know, the ability to say things that were perhaps insulting or offensive, because that was part of what made a free society free. Well, that was mostly... I mean, to, there, were, there were a number of people that took a a similar position to the one which had been taken many years previously about the uh, satanic verses. A little bit, well, you know, they went out of their way to be insulting. And, you know, if you're going to do this kind of thing, there are risks involved. And, you know, you can't just expect you to do this kind of thing and not have some kind of blowback. Uh, there, was a, there was a certain amount of mealy-mouthedness as well amongst... All of the just we Charlie. Now, the just we Charlie thing always made me feel. There was actually, for my childhood, there was a, a a lady's perfume which used to be widely advertised on television. The tagline occasionally from one of them was something like "Just we Charlie." <laughs> so I was like, mm, "Can we can we think of something else to say?" But lots of yes, as you say, on Twitter and Facebook, lots of people, and they had the French flag, uh, called the, the trickler colors would put over their profile pictures. It was all, it was very, very, very touching. I have to admit in my guilt, I, I did absolutely nothing. But there you go. I also did absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing seemed sort of the appropriate response, to be honest, to most atrocities, regardless of where they are. But it's interesting that in five years, we've gone from, you know, we've, we've absolutely got to accept things like that to pretty much a European-wide push for Hate speech laws, speech control, things like that didn't uh, didn't take long for us to to pivot like that. And in fact, many of the people I now see pushing the hardest for hate speech laws in Ireland were some of the people who were the loudest about how we needed to support the Charlie Hebdo writers and that this was an assault on free speech. I think Michael, looking back at it. Some of these people in the media may have been saying that because Charlie Hebdo were a media organisation and not because of the actual free speech side of things. You're suggesting that there's some kind of eternal communality going on here, journalists thinking that it's a bad idea to go to journalists rather than their deep-seated, passionate, long-term commitment to the value of free speech in a democratic society, Gary. Well, I'm knowing journalists as I do, I, I'm sure you're wrong. They are people of a deep philosophical commitment to the principles of a liberal democracy. They are 
exceptionally moral and upstanding and courageous people who write beautifully and that's why we're gifted with them yes i i don't think anyone here would say anything bad about journalists no never however we can observe that now to be let's let's be fair in france the french have maintained pretty strong more than pretty strong their free speech defenses and the, the response of macron to issues like this and others say for example the the rolling back of history and the attack on the monuments and stuff like that has been very french no it will not happen we will not erase one fact one character from our history france is france and all that. however i would having looked at charlie Hebdo, and unlike people who at the time pretended they were oh i would read again charlie Hebdo every other day i mean it's my constant source I get it, I get it, the, the online version and does the Google translations. I'd never heard of Charlie Hebdo, Gary, until this happened. But I made it my business to go off and try and get a f- uh, get some examples of the work that they did. And with my schoolboy French, I managed to wade my way through. Uh, missing 90, I'm sure the vast majority, because let's face it, humour is problematic in, for foreign language speakers. But... I would be sceptical that a magazine like Charlie Hebdo would survive the kind of proposals that we're hearing regarding the hate speech laws in Ireland, whatever about other countries. I I don't think the mag- that Charlie Hebdo would would be would be able to be published here. I I would doubt it. We uh, we don't like things like that. On the Macron point, he was good on the statues, better than a lot of European leaders. But on Charlie Hebdo, when he was asked, he didn't defend it so much as he said it's not the place of a politician to comment on editorial decisions of media organizations because we have freedom of the press. Yeah. Which strikes me as one of those wonderful political statements, which is absolutely accurate and also not really an answer to the question you were asked. Yeah, it, I have a feeling if it was a different thing, if it was a different uh, magazine, if it was a different political issue, an answer would have been given. It, it was a long way from, shall we say, a wholehearted support for the right of the magazine to do whatever the hell it liked, at that, or at least to do what it had done. And there may have been, uh, there may have been uh, political reasons around that, certainly. But uh, yeah, it's... I suppose we are engaging in a discussion which is one of the most useless of all discussions, which is the inconsistency and hypocrisy of the Irish press and media. <laughs> really? You know, it's, it's, we need Charlie Hebdo to tell us that, but I suppose it's worth reflecting on. And I would be curious, because you're quite right, if you were to go back over the list of people who most prominently and most vocally supported uh, this whole just be Charlie thing without actually ever going into the detail of what precisely that meant. And you asked them today for their position. It would be interesting to hear them uh, justify their position on, uh, or how they go about justifying their position on hate speech laws and the restrictions of freedoms of speech. No, I, I, I think we both have a, I think we have a fairly decent idea of what they would say. Times have moved on. The situation has gotten worse. I, well, one of them, somebody would inevitably produce one of those 
statements, which sounds like it means something when you hear it, and then it's gone. And most of the time, we there we don't think about it. But if you actually stop and look at it, it means absolutely nothing. Which is, free speech does not mean freedom from consequences. Yeah, I think I've made the point before that I would find that a lot more compelling if a lot of the people saying it didn't seem to say it less as a, a point and more as a warning. It's a threat. They say it, Gary, it's a threat. Yeah, you could do that, but there will be consequences. You put that in the mouth of a guy wearing a leather jacket in a, in, on, in the in the TV or in a movie, and you know he's a bad guy or a gangster, and, you, you, and what he's saying is you're going to get your kneecaps done in. It's a threat. Now, what it never, what it doesn't go anywhere near addressing is whether those consequences are legitimate, ethical, or moral. But it's simply a statement. Yeah, okay, you can you can have your free speech, but that doesn't mean that we don't get to come and get your take your job away. That doesn't mean we don't get to dox you. Doesn't mean we don't get to stalk you and terrorize you, because that's what we're going to do if you go around free speeching all over the gaff. But it's produced as if to say, well, you know, there's two sides to this. Yes, you can have free speech, but then you must accept the consequences. I mean, for Salman Rushdie, the consequences of free speech would have been being murdered under fatwa from Iran. Is that what they mean? When we saw that in what, for some people, what they had decided the consequences should be for the people of Charlie Hebdo for publishing the, the cartoons of the Prophet. That these are consequences. Is that what these people mean when they say that free speech is not freedom of consequence? But it's also just a nonsense. Nothing, no action is free of consequences. It's in this particular world in which we live, where there are things like there are laws of physics, and it's even Newtonian quantum, whatever laws you want. Of course, an action will have consequences. I can't imagine an action that doesn't have consequences. At least, not in this physical world. Protesting uh, against the police shooting of a black man in America outside the uh, in Dublin. Oh, but that will have consequences, Gary. That will make you feel good about yourself, and oh, your God. other friends look at you and think, "God, you're a great guy. You care. I might sleep with you." All sorts of good consequences. And in the end, isn't that what it's all about? Getting people to sleep with you. Absolutely, that is what it is all about. But, uh, what was it, 17 people died? Yeah. What was it? It was uh, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, I think. God, do you remember them? Jeez, that's retro at this point. <laughs> Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. If you want, if anybody out there wants to see something which is both mind-blowing, bending, numbing, and macabre and bizarre, and yet, because it's all of that, kind of darkly, weirdly funny. There are videos available online of the uh, the the boss, sort of the theological boss of Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was the group run by uh, the late, uh, what was his name? Um, Osman Osama Bin Laden. Anyway, I can't remember the name of the... the, 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 the was it al wasn't al Baghdadi? No, it wasn't. Uh, he was a he was a, he was an Egyptian. He'd been trained in Egyptian, and 
you, you see these interviews and they take place in these studios where there's like 40 foot between the the lady who is well covered and the uh, the 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 object of the interview and gary there's one where they're discussing islamic or un-islamic nature of the actions of isis which was then in the process of it was i don't think it yet declared the caliphate in syria but was was, was heading there and they talked about how you about the, the legitimate ways you could kill people like you could crucify them you could chop their heads off you could cut their throats you could do this but if you remember there were horrible horrible scenes where there was a young jordanian pilot i think it was he was put into a cage and he was burnt alive and uh, oh yes i remember this there's video yeah there's video and uh, this was on islamic gary this was on islamic it was outrageous that was kind of thing because there were quranic injunctions against burning people alive apparently but it is one of the bizarre conversations you will ever hear as they pick through in this rather just you know dry legal way how you can kill people and how you can't kill people and it's also this wonderfully surreal moment where you realize isis must be pretty bad because they're too extreme for al-qaeda you've got the head of the the, the, the head boss theological boss of al-qaeda going oh no no these guys you know in fairness you know these guys just they go too far this is over the edge stuff no no we would not be into endorsing these lads and that's when you sort of you thought to yourself hmm isis may not be may not be the good news story we thought they were turned out to be to be pretty accurate anyway it is uh, the trial for the murder of 14 people is going to start today god it feels like an awfully long time doesn't it i mean it was five years i don't know what took it so long the French legal system is usually fairly quick. There are fourteen. Sorry, there are fourteen people on trial. That's a big. That's a lot of people. Well, yeah, I suppose conspiracies and things. They are all twelve people died. Five people died in a related attack. Was that the attack in the kosher deli? Yes, I believe so. That may have been the day after. A couple of days after, yeah. Um, it was a a Sunday, I think, because. If I remember rightly, because that's the there's uh, the Jewish quarter in Paris. The French have quite uh, restrictive laws for Sunday trading, but these laws don't apply to the Jewish quarter. So the Jewish quarter has become apparently this quite happening kind of place to go on a Sunday. Got restaurants and shops opening, uh, and including the Stellian. Yeah, uh, oh, that was horrible. The people hiding in fridges and all that. It was just ghastly. Anyway, how long this will take, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see how much coverage it gets as well. It's disappeared. And uh, it just, it's a, it, it, bizarrely, it feels like a very, very long time ago. But there you go. And then luckily those people went off and never murdered anyone else again. <laughs> they never murdered anyone else again, yeah. Like the, like those people in, uh, like the people, like the people that in, in Portland, they get uh, get arrested, uh, uh, held overnight and released, and never go and never do anything ever again. And definitely don't get picked up the next night and the next night and the next night in some sort of weird street violence perpetual motion machine. People are enormously picky, Gary. They're always looking to be critical. They're always everybody always knows better. Just 
you get one case where a guy is arrested for illegal possession of a firearm and other protest-related stuff, right? He's released the next day. He goes off and kills somebody. And suddenly the whole system is called into question. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's just one guy. It's one incident in, you know, you've got hundreds, possibly thousands of people being recycled through this system in, you know, in when you take from since the very beginning of, the, of, of this whole thing. And just one, you get one, one little mistake and then suddenly they're hopping all over you. I remember uh, it's like that scene where Steve Coogan was playing, that character was a documentary, imagine he, he's a, a lifeguard at a swimming pool and he goes through 1980, nobody drowned. 1981, nobody drowned. 1982, somebody drowned. 1983, nobody drowned. 1984, nobody drowned. And so on and so forth. You know, but he's absolutely the point. People get fixated. Now, um, the individual responsible, of course, did you, have you seen, the, did you see by the, the, the journal article on this? On the, the, the report and talking about Trump. And how he was refusing to condemn the killings, or was that the other one? No, more that one, because no, there's a line in it somewhere where um, the, I, is it that article? I think it's that article where it refers to the guy who had been arrested for, amongst other things, uh, illegal possession of a firearm who then had been released and had come back on the street and gone off and then shot this guy. And they, it, it's an... It, the article is just a bit odd because you have allegedly somewhere in other places you don't have allegedly isn't there are certain pieces of information that are that are left out and in, in some context and appear in others but this guy this guy i think was de described as allegedly antifa is that right am i right in one of the articles i remember saying he was they described him as being allegedly antifa this this wouldn't be the guy who was uh quoted i think on in a different video saying I am 100% Antifa. That's the guy, yeah. That guy, yeah. I suppose that is to say he's allegedly a member of Antifa. But it's doing a lot of work in there to soften the blow. <laughs> but the journal is very good at doing this. They don't, the journal doesn't lie as such. No. What they do is they well, present things, but perhaps incomplete. So, like, in they, they did a th an article on how Donald Trump was refusing to condemn the killing of two people in Kenosha. And like they, they mentioned that it was the protests, which then became the riots, uh, started over the police shooting of a guy called Jacob Blake. And they say he was shot seven times in the back, which I think he was actually, there were seven shots fired, but I think he was actually only shot in the back four times. I think he was only hit four times, which is a just a small factual thing, which I wouldn't expect the journal to get right to begin with. No, and let's face it, four, four, as they say, four is enough. Well, it didn't kill him, so no, it wasn't. I suppose it all depends what you want to achieve, yes, but no, if it did. And we are told constantly that, of course, police, when they shoot, they don't shoot to wound. Well, a gun is a... Because you can't, basically. It's... The accuracy isn't, they, they don't have the accuracy. They, they aim for areas 
like head, chest, that kind of thing. So they're trying to shoot at centre of mass, so they yeah. shoot you in the chest. And yeah, you you get a lot of people being like, could you not train them to aim for the limbs or things? And there's two problems with that. One, they move very quickly, unless someone is staying perfectly still. And two, fairly easy to hit something in any of your limbs and cause you to bleed out. Oh, if you had, yeah, you get arterial bleeding, it'll kill you pretty split. I just checked there. He was, in fact, only shot four times. So that's just a basic factual mistake in this article. You know what would upset me if I was that, if I was the man that had been, uh, who'd shot the, the uh, Trumpian fascist mm-hmm. supporter? By using the word allegedly, allegedly Antifa, I think they're making an implication that, that, the, that the man is, in so, is potentially dishonest, less than truthful. The man has said, I am 100% Antifa. The journalist says, allegedly Antifa. You know, why are they questioning him? Why are they questioning his... Are they? On, that's kind of undermining to his, his story and his narrative. Is this some kind of a, a deep play that the journal are making to try and make us not believe this man's story? You know, I, I, I think they should tidy it up and take that allegedly out. Because I believe him, Gary. Hashtag, I believe him. Yes, but Michael, you don't, you don't have the necessary level of... Uh skepticism for this old journalism business see i'm not a journalist no i i believe people i just believe them because i think people are basically good when they're shooting fascists like uh, trumpian fascists that is anyway uh, trump talks about the video there's video of uh, not the entire confrontation but the guy he shot three people he shot one guy in the head one guy in the chest and one guy in the arm yes and the video they describe the <laughs> The journal says the video allegedly shows the shooter. No, no, it, no one, no one on either side is arguing that anyone else is in that video. No one. But they say like Trump mentions the video. They don't link to the video. They don't show the video. It's widely available. Um, but on the video, there's a couple of different videos. You don't see what started it off, but the New York Times did a very good analysis of all the available videos. Yes. And they don't say what they think legally it was, but I think the general consensus is that there's going to be a strong self-defense argument there. Although he did cross state lines with a gun, and that may lead to a weapons charge. And it's I'm not familiar with the state's laws, so I don't want to say what way it'll go. But he tries to retreat and they attack him. And then he shoots them, and then one of them has a handgun. Did you have, by any chance, did you ever look at any of the the, the comment section of the New York Times? Uh, I do occasionally, when I just want to feel all hope die. Yeah, you, you didn't have to look at this story, because it was really, I, it, was, it was kind of interesting on this story. Because there was, there was one of the themes that was constant was, uh, and I've seen this in the Times you know, recently on other stories, uh, Chris be critical of this. Some people being critical times of just by the very fact that they had done this at all. That the way they had structured it and the way they had outlined it, that this guy could get away with it. That there was some kind of implication that he was defending himself or he was running away. And they were really annoyed that the Times had done this really good sequential job of just demonstrating what one to the other to the other to the other. There was another article in the Times there a couple of a couple of days ago where they were talking about a uh, 
it just reminds me now of this. It's nothing to do with it. It was a political thing. It was they were going to a, one of the swing states. They were talking to a voter in a diner who had only ever voted once, and that was for Obama because the, she got all excited about Obama. And uh, she said, "You know, I, I, I generally I don't vote, but I'm going to I'm going to vote for Trump this time." Now it came out that she had a son who type one diabetes. And one of the reasons, the reason she principally voted for Obama was that Obama was going to get insurance for her son. And, of course, it's an article of faith with Democrats that Obama's going to take away medical cover from people with pre-existing conditions. Half of the comments in it were critical of the article for not having pushed back and told this woman, explained to her that Trump was really bad for her on the issue of health care and her was going to kill her son. You know, you think well, these people have fundamentally misunderstood the purpose of journalism, you know? No, I think they have a very accurate idea of some of the purpose of the New York Times journalism. But the on the um on magazines you can trust, Michael, on newspapers yeah. you can trust to give it to you straight. We were talking about Al Qaeda in the uh, Arabian Peninsula earlier. Yes. Did you ever read their magazine? Do you know what, Gary? <laughs> I it 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 passed me by. I never actually. I obviously I, I looked at. I watched the the podcast of the easings. To, it ran just for to, about six years to keep up to date. But no, I never saw. What was it called? Inspire. Good title. It well. To be honest, it sounds a bit like a consultancy firm. You know, like Accenture or something. I'm working for Inspire. Yeah, we're doing some great work now with... Uh... They also had uh, one called uh, Alshamaka. I probably butchered the pronunciation of that, which was a fashion lifestyle magazine. <laughs> You're making that up. I'm not making that up. That exists. <laughs> a fashion lifestyle magazine like yeah, yeah. for Al-Qaeda. Yeah. <laughs> it's black. No, 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 no. There's... Uh... Well, there's here we have black, and then we have charcoal, we have midnight, we have very dark grey, we have soutan. Yeah, these are all wonderful. <laughs> but they did, they did one that was uh, that was about the Charlie Hebdo shooting and uh, and uh, celebrating it. I'm. So I've read a couple of these of these types of magazines, but I think it was one of the Inspire magazines. I think it was the it was their Christmas issue. <laughs> their Chris, the, the, yeah, they kind Christmas, had, issues. Had Christmas issues. Okay, okay, of course they had Christmas issues. Most Muslims, my understanding is, Orthodox Muslims don't celebrate birthdays, let alone Jesus's birthday. No, but I I think I'm, and I'm not sure this could have been a different uh, Islamic terrorist groups magazine, but I think it was Inspire. And I remember reading in one of them, and it was instructions on how to use, uh, you know, those Christmas lights, Michael, like the like the yeah, lights, the for string trees. lights, yeah, 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 for trees. It was on how to use one of those as a bomb timer, and I was like, man, that is festive. That is festive, yeah. That, that like is. that, you know, this is someone who sat down and went, we've got we've got a key demographic, but we've also got a, a big holiday coming up. We we need to you know we need an angle that merges them. Inspire had some of the highest production values I've ever seen in a magazine. It was fantastically done, just beautifully designed. 
turns out when you don't want to make money in journalism, you can, and you're just willing to throw money at it, you can do some great work, Michael. Like, it was, it was really well done. I've got to give them props for that. Particularly because all their editors kept exploding. I'm sure the, I'm sure the journalism was of high standard as well, then. It actually, like, they did a lot of interviews with, uh, like, martyr or people who were planning to be martyred and old ones they'd done with people who had subsequently killed themselves in explosions. And, um... Oh, it, it and then, was, of course, then there are the, ref- the restaurant reviews, which were the reason that most people bought it in the first place. And then, of course, you have uh, issue... I think one of the issues was a memorial edition on the death of Osama bin Laden, uh, which is probably a collector's item now. That's That's probably appreciated in value. Especially if you can get it signed by Osama. Oh yeah, but they would go between, like there would be instructional sections of them and like here's how to make a bomb or here's how to assassinate someone or here's how to blow up an airliner or here's how to get a bomb through airport security. And then you get all these like glossy lifestyle features. I I don't know, has anybody ever tried since then to maybe copy the model? It maybe have, may have been a successful... Model, yeah. or, do you, or do you think that it was being it was being subsidised by uh, wealthy patrons? Wasn't? I think the um, the issue you have is that, but the problem they have, and and this you have to understand, Michael, that publishing a magazine like this has particular challenges in keeping quality high that most magazines don't face, uh, such as the fact that every person who became the editor of Inspire went to the top of the American kill list and. Uh, Many of them did explode in tragic missile-related accidents. Well, you know, Gary, free speech is not free. free no, consequences. It's not free of consequences. I mean, what's the, what's I, the, the other version of that? It's uh, the, well, shall we? More the low version is uh, play stupid games. What's it? Win stupid prizes. Win stupid. I don't quite. I I get the sense of it, but where does that come from? I actually don't know where that comes from. Also, if you're looking, Inspire is a much better magazine than uh, Dabik, I think, which was the magazine of Islamic State. And it's fine. I mean, it's well done. But, like... By the way, talking of Islamic State, if you want, there are some really quite good uh, documentaries that's on YouTube about them. Do you know what? I mean, not that I would ever read it from the point of view of journalism if it was anything to do with this but there's vice has done some really interesting stuff on foreign reporting yeah some of their foreign stuff is actually quite good um, and they, one of the they did an undercover uh, well not actually i don't even you know you call it undercover into into the life of uh the islamic state i when uh they held a Raqqa. I think Raqqa had become the capital of it. And it was and just going around the, the day-to-day life of what it was like, very, very interesting, very, very scary. But uh, worth having a look at if you're if you're 45 minutes or an hour to spare sometime, get on the, the YouTube and have a look at that. Yep, and, uh, you know, maybe have a look at uh, the big as well. Although they had to change the name when they lost the town it was named after. Yeah, well, they lost all of them now. Yeah, so then they changed to Rumia, I think, was the replacement yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. And that kept going to, like, 2017. But I said, it's far less entertaining than Inspire, and the production values just weren't as high. They are interesting to read, though, particularly the ISIL ones, because 
the Al Qaeda ones are basically just like here's how to build a bomb, uh, and stuff like that. ISIL's ones are all about we are a state and we are serious and all Muslims should come here. So it's more about them trying to establish legitimacy in a lineage, whereas Al-Qaeda's yeah. fire is just like, here's how to make a bomb using Christmas lights. It was it was about the nature of the caliphate and the establishment of the caliphate and all that. And when you, you, and when you read anything that was published by ISIS or ISIS-friendly, it really, you know that thing that we've, we've talked about tangentially at least before, you know when people would come out and after some incident would happen, some bad thing would happen, and the president or the, the Taoiseach here or the prime minister or whoever would say, this is not Islamic, this is not Islam, this is anti-Islamic. And you know, you, there'd be part of you in the back of your head thinking, when did Michal Martin or Brian Town or Leo or Ed Kenny become an expert on Islamic theology? That they can come out and assert with such absolute certainty that this particular act is un-Islamic. When, you know, Gary, you, you listen to these guys who are talking about what they were doing, say, in Syria and ISIL, who seem to be really big into the Islamic thing and seem to know a lot about it. And they were very confident that this stuff was, in fact, Islamic, perfectly Islamic. But leaving that aside, what, when you listen to like, their, their understanding of the relationship between the individual and the state and Islam and the whole. You got, you, you're the, oh, well, we're all the same. We all were so, such a radically different understanding of the purpose of revelation to the Christian thing. You know, right at the heart of the, of, the, of the Christian, not that it was necessarily respected by Christians, but that's another story. You have the separation of church and state. Right from that moment, you know, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, render unto God, God's. Well, it took a while for that to actually get practically uh, you know, put into place in Europe. Well, no, well I, I'd say it's, I'd say no, yes, no. I mean, for the first 350 years, Christianity is deeply suspicious of anything to do with the state. And expands and is very successful as a, as a mission religion. It's only with the advent of Constantine that you start to get this, shall we say, state involvement. But in and around the same time, Armenia and then later, then Ethiopia become established as Christian kingdoms. But there's always a tension. There's a tension between the state and the state and the faith. Islam is this absolutely, it's a coherent, very coherent and complete worldview. And large tracts of the Iran are, actually, are specifically instructions on how to run a city, how to run a state. There's very very little information in the Gospels of the correct management of a city-state. I, I did always find that quite amusing. People would say, well, this isn't true to, to Islam or it isn't true to whatever religion. And you said, okay, I, I don't think you're a religious scholar. I think you'd rather it didn't, but I don't think you actually know anything about this. Like, exactly, this guy, you're, the, the, the Al-Qaeda guy that would on YouTube, this guy apparently has two doctorates from the University of Cairo, which is supposed to be the the center for Islamic studies and the most respected thing in the world. And again, yeah, he probably knows more about this stuff than Enda Kenny does, but Enda's confident. No, no, I don't know. Enda is a man of surprises. 
He is a man of many surprises, as we have discovered only recently. So I think we, we've settled that that problem, Michael. We, we have. Uh, we've, we've done that. We've settled that. Yeah. So Charlie Hebdo, bad. Free Charlie speech, Hebdo, bad. Good. Free speech, Hypocrisy, good. bad. Possibly the worst of all things. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> You're just provo- provoking me. You just... You're just provoking me now, mister. And I uh, I recommend you read all of those magazines because assuredly you will end up on a list somewhere. Now, Gary, there's a big problem facing the country. Um, Is it rats? Well, it's... it's in, in, badgers? Badgers are a problem. No, it's the problem that our government seems to be losing the run of itself and is there's been talk that they may disobey the President of the European Commission. There's also been talk that they will absolutely obey the President of the European Commission. Well, I mean, you'd hope so. You'd hope that in a reasonable and rational world, the President of the European Commission would tell them what to do, and they would just bloody well do it. I mean, what kind of country are we living in, Gary, where the President of the European Commission can say something and people can blandly ignore it? I mean, that, 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 that way lies madness. Obviously, here we're talking about the replacement for Phil Hogan, uh, well, which is sort of, you know, how do you patch up a self-inflicted gunshot wound? No, come on now. Phil is irreplaceable. You're not going to replace Phil. You're going to find an alternative person to fill the job. Phil will never be replaced. That's a hole that he's left a, a, a hole which is too big to fill. I mean, yes, physically, but what if we get two Finnegalers and put them on each other's shoulders? Uh, Pascal and Brian Hayes. That that's that's roughly a Phil Hogan, like shape. I'd like to see what that would sound like when it spoke. That would be interesting. A Pascal Brian Hayes cross. I don't. In stereo. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> So anyway, we have been told, I understand, Gary, that we have to send two names. Two, not one, but two. Two, not one, two. And one of them has to be a man and one of them has to be a lady. Now, I I don't... I, I'm getting more confused these days because I'm getting old. And Your faculties hard. are failing. My faculties are failing. It's understandable. Failing for a long time. And I, I, I find it hard to keep up. Now... I, I I spent some time last week reading a lot of materials from uh, official bodies and government sanctioned bodies telling me that the idea of being a lady person like a woman is a made up idea. It's a makey up thing, right? And so is the idea of a man. These things are just social constructs which have been invented by the patriarchy and capitalism and religion and ba- bad things anyway uh, to oppress women I don't get that that to be a woman is but well, it's made up but it's done to oppress anyway listen let's not pull at that thread too much and yes it's desperately desperately important that people who are lady women get the jobs anyway so a lot of people in Ireland are very annoyed very annoyed that they haven't automatically includes a woman anyway. They're, apparently the only name on the list at the moment is Simon Coveney. And why he'd want Simon to go, I don't know, because he's, he's a star, Simon, star. But Mairead McGuinness has been a prominent, uh, how would one say, she's been a presence in the European Parliament for some 15 years, apparently. So why not give her name? There is a risk... 
carry a risk. I don't know what the risk is. That the president of the commission will not accept a one-name nomination? Well, here's the thing. The, traditionally, every country just puts forward a name, and then that gets passed on. That's traditionally how this goes. It's not a difficult process. You just give a name. Yeah. The fact we're now being told to give two names, that I have a bit of an issue with, because that's not, as such, the president's prerogative. That's Ireland's decision. But she's the president. She's the king. And she has been democratically elected by all the people of Europe. I mean, we had that vote where we said we're going to vote for the president. And she won, Gary. Mm. And technically, the the list of people she has, of commissioners, of, of candidates, is based on suggestions. Member state government suggestions. In reality, you're kind of told, get just get a name. Yes. And then it has to be voted on by a strong indication. the European Parliament. It just needs an absolute majority. But I don't think it's the place of the Commission or the President to start saying, well, we want this amount of candidates or we want this people. They also have the great risk now that this is due to van der Leer wanting a gender-balanced cabinet because she promised she would. And then she didn't have one in the end. She broke her promise. She's minus one. So... Wouldn't that be just handy at this stage just to get one of the other, the present commissioners to identify as a woman? Then it'd be all right. I mean, it's certainly something to consider. I think it would be brave and courageous for everybody involved. But I... Whatever about it. I I don't think we should send them two names. I think we should send them one name in terms of just get the fuck on with it. (laughs) I think that the sad thing is that all these names are being thrown around and none of them are any bloody good. And we're all worried because Brexit is coming up and we need to negotiate a deal. And we want a deal which is good for us, but we also, unlike perhaps other countries in Europe, it is of our interest that we have a good deal for the United Kingdom also. We want all of this and everybody to be happy. And there's only—I mean, there's one outstanding car- candidate, one man, the international standing, with a deep understanding of the issues, great experience, and a proven track record of negotiating difficult and tense issues and ma- mediating between estranged groups. And that's Bertie Ahern. I had a feeling it was going to be Ahern. There should there shouldn't be a list. There shouldn't be a question. There should be. It should be Bertie. Will you do this? For the good of the nation, you know, ask Bertie not. Is not the last time I checked, a woman. Bertie is beyond mere gender category. Anyway, I'm sure Bertie, if you ask Bertie right. And anyway, if they offered Bertie, there's no way they could not be anything but delighted. They're probably insisting on the woman because they think that the choices between Coveney or Pascal or Leo and uh, uh, Francis Fitzgerald and... Marine McGuinness, if there was a whisper went around the corridors of Brussels that the great Bertie Hearn was going to be potentially on offer, well, at that stage, all all other considerations would become mute and null, and they would bow down and say, hail the great Bertis. And I'm abs- I, I, we obviously have decided that Bertie can never be forgiven for fucking over the country with either affection or lubrication, but in this particular case, if you have a job to do, and it's a very important job for this, the future of the country, he would be absolutely nailed on. 
if we had any sense at all. But uh, <laughs> Brazil is actually quite reasonable on trade as well. If we had sense, we would do this. But thankfully, so is this, is this you demanding that we throw our hat in the ring for Bertie, the black horse candidate? Absolutely. We're starting the campaign now, and anybody wants to send in campaign donations, which we can't guarantee will necessarily be spent on this campaign, but we'll do our best. Uh, send them in. We don't have a bank account, so please send cash. Send cash in an envelope. But are or a book with the money in between, because that's a good way, because I'm not saying, but, you know, sometimes those envelopes go missing. Have What I have found interesting is the reaction of Ireland's assorted lovies. Including some of our ministers now, because that's that's our standard of minister. Yeah, they're lovely. How long can this government last? Um, well, I, I think I said that when the weather starts getting good after Easter, that's when it goes. We're already hearing stories of Michal Martin literally getting so angry he's throwing things off his desk at the walls. Like, where does he go by now? He's got like heart attack and stroke. Is at the next level. Michal needs to ch- chill out, relax. Maybe, you know, he's, at his age, he needs to maybe get together, have a few drinks, have a bit of a dance, meet up with some old friends, you know, have a bit of a relax and not take it quite so seriously. Yeah, maybe have some sort of party in his house in Cork, like 40 to 50 people. That kind of thing, Gary, I think that would be good for him. Now, that would be grossly irresponsible, even if he had done it before the regulations changed, when it was potentially not a breach of the regulations. I think it would look simply so bad he'd be forced to resign. But luckily no one would be stupid enough to do that when running the country. That would be. (laughs) And there's definitely not Fine Gaelers all over Cork right now looking for evidence of that. No, that way that would be madness. That, that would, would be, be ridiculous. Can you imagine? Oh not particularly particularly after the incident, you know, where, you know, making such a to-do about Phil Hogan and saying they no longer had confidence in him after Golfgate. I mean, it would be, he's kind of, he's walked himself up a hill. Well, he would have done if this had happened, but obviously this is nothing. I mean, that would be ridiculous. The idea that the government, people right now were working to prove that that happened so they could bring down the government over a house party to mark the Taoiseach's, let's say, 60th birthday, were one to have happened. The thing is, we know this isn't happening, and we we know it won't happen. And I tell you another. It, I I don't know. I said this to you before. I said on the podcast. It, it had always puzzled me about you know about Leo and his re- terribly relaxed nature to the loss of the Thishuk ship, and with his resignation and going. And since then, no, I have to say, since he's become leader of the opposition, I've never seen himself and the other prominent Finneganers look as relaxed and as happy. And they are providing very, very effective opposition to the government, which is not usually what Finnegale do. But I've realised, of course, he's not actually resigned at all. He's actually gone on sabbatical. And when, and by God, this winter is going to be horrible with COVID and with the economy. And I'm guaranteeing you we'll have hurricanes and storms and there'll be ice and there'll be ice storms and there'll be snow and it'll just be dreadful and the children will all have to go home and the schools have to close and then sometime around February we'll get a vaccine and sometime between March February and March people will be out and then the, the good weather will start in April and, Tish, and Leo will say okay I'll be Tishuk again now please at which point Fall by February of next year Fall will be so hated that their core vote will be down to basically Michal Martin his wife and his mother I mean, yeah. 
At which point Fine Gael will be returned with an overall majority. Yeah, when Fine Gael decides that Finnefall just has nothing left to give. Yeah, when they, have, when they have got the last drop of blood, when they've got the last usable organ out of them. Just on this, so the Irish Independent have an article on this, on, on the Commissioner, and why we should send two names, because we're yes. after. Um, there's, there's absolutely an argument that we should do what she wants, if it helps us retain the trade portfolio. Yeah. there's absolutely no guarantee we will have. No. Okay, and that is an argument there, but that's not what these quotes are saying. That's, so here is, here is what one minister reportedly told the Irish Independent. It's the 21st century. We got away with it the last time. This is not sending a female name or two names. Mm. The optics of defying her wishes would be disastrous. The government needs to do itself some favours after making some bad mistakes. The minister, Gorman, said he was strongly of the view that she should be given two names, saying Ireland would be well advised to follow the president's request. And then, of course, the National Women's Council of Ireland said it would be I hope that wasn't disrespectful. Defy her wishes. I mean... We're not talking about the last Dowager Empress of China here. I think the the other problem they have is that I wouldn't imagine the EU is terribly pleased about the fact that we effectively brought down an EU trade commissioner just as Brexit is kind of, yeah, that's that's still going. I don't think the EU is is happy for a stop. Even taking Brexit out and Brexit is a big deal. But in the last conversation we said, I mean, I referred to the... Uh, the French uh, Libération, and they were who were talking about this, and they weren't the only ones. They're saying that a lot of people in 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 Brussels did not like the principle which seemed to have been established that a a, a, a local government, a national government, could take out a commissioner. Yes, but no one in the EU ever likes being reminded of the fact that for all the pretensions of the EU and. You know, from many one, they're run by the national parliaments. Well, they're run by the national parliaments insofar as ultimately the council of ministers is the mo- is still the most powerful. The, 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 the parliament is is wasted. The, the commission is powerful, and the court is powerful. I mean, there are laws, and you have to, and, and 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 national governments have to obey European law. And if there's a conflict between European law and national law, the European law takes precedence. But yes, yeah, still. The political power still lies in the Council of Ministers and Nationals. Now, she could have chosen, they could have chosen to ignore the pressure, but for whatever reasons, maybe they were annoyed with Phil as well because they had made this stout defence of him, which it then appeared that Phil had gone on something of a tour of the country and his description of his behaviours hadn't quite gelled with their understanding of what he'd been doing, even though Phil was insisting that he obeyed both the spirit and, in most cases, the letter of the law. And that, the point is that Liberation made is that he hadn't, he hadn't actually broken any laws. The only other occasion where an individual minister, an individual commissioner had been forced to go, where there had been a suspicion or the appearance of possi- the possibility of peculation because of a conflict of interest or a potential conflict of interest. Now, that hadn't happened here. So they, the, I think the... The, the idea that a, a, a national government can demand the head of a commissioner uh, 
over what didn't appear to people outside of Ireland to be a very, very big deal. But Ireland is becoming, it's not specific to this story, but it's worth pointing out, we are becoming a bit of an outlier, Gary, on the whole COVID thing anyway. Yes, we are. Uh, it's not going well. We are now doing worse than Sweden, which I, I believe I was told was uh, an absolute abomination. Yeah, now, the thing about Sweden is I, I, any one day, Gary, you can read five articles saying that Sweden is a disaster, another five articles saying that Sweden is the way forward. I think we'll, we're going to need a little bit more time before we, we can work out was Sweden a good idea or a bad idea. We may never know. It is true that the... Well, I, I read it, at least in the newspaper, that the epidemiologist that was responsible for directing the Swedish policy has now been appointed to WHO and is going to be in large part responsible for the WHO uh, strategy for dealing with the pandemic. That's indicative, at least, that somebody seems to think that they're doing uh, a a good job. I mean, we were told, I think it was Leo, didn't he? Leo said what what seemed like uh, a pride at our exceptionalism, that Ireland is now the only place in Europe where, to use that horrible phrase, wet pubs, wet bars are the only, are closed. We're the only place in Europe now doing this. I don't think that is a thing. I think that's a phrase anyone has used before this point. And there seems to be an odd, and there is a, is there another thing going on here? We have this thing where concerts may be allowed, but only if they don't serve drink. Uh, we had a call um, by one group that the off-licenses should be looked at and maybe brought under control because of the danger that were occurring due to house parties. Now, this wouldn't happen to have been the fucking Vinters Association, would it? Do you know, I think, Gary, I think it just possibly might have been. You know, Michael, I think that the people who own pubs and are calling for off-licenses to be shut down may have a conflict of interest here. Do you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want to be too strong on this. But I think people could definitely make that argument. I thought it was a fantastic suggestion for two reasons. One, it was one of the best, most shamefaced examples of somebody pretending to propose a policy decision, which was an act of naked self-interest or apparent naked, but also so profoundly stupid that it was just it was it was a gold medal winner. Naked self-interest, stupid for two reasons. What I, I I'm really surprised the vintners would suggest this if without consultation with their members, because I, a hell of a lot of their members right now are surviving. Purely and simply because they have off licenses, and are, and even before COVID, I know publicans would say that what was keeping them going were their sales from their off licenses. The second thing is they seem to have forgotten that on this island we have there is another place called the North of Ireland, and if we and what are they going to do? They're going to ban Lidl and Tesco's from selling drink as well. Oh, well, I think the next step might be ban people from going to the north. And at the level the Vinters Federation are willing to operate at, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. 
And then they'll have to ban flights into the country as well because people will start flying to get liquor. Or boats over to France in mm-hmm. vans. And then the last, <laughs> we'll know we have finally, finally crossed over definitively into the territory of a totalitarian state when they start introducing laws which stop you buying potatoes in large numbers, in large amounts, because somebody has discovered online a recipe of how to make vodka. Where we least suspected totalitarianism would come from, the Vintage yeah. Federation. The Vintage Association, brilliant. Well done, them. But looking at it now, yeah, that seems to be where they're going. I, I also did enjoy the sheer shamelessness of it. That was fantastic. Just it took someone straight in the eye and say, yes, we have to do this. You know, these house parties, these house parties getting out of control, you know, we should do something about it. And you know, where where are they getting the drink? It's from the off licenses. I like the idea of a politician looking around me like, so you're saying we should ban the sale of alcohol? <laughs> no, 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 only in very select cases. No, no. I mean, of course. No, what we should do is we should, we should regulate it and license it so that people can consume alcohol but only in designated and licensed spaces where professional alcohol dispensers can be in charge of the whole process i don't know what you'd call those but we could think of a name and those places people would go to those places and would be charged perhaps five or six times the price that you would have otherwise paid for your bottle of beer Mm. but you would be getting a professional service and toilets Although apparently not always, I'm told that across the city, when we're talking about cafes and other in places that are open, that again and again we see the signs, toilets out of order. But that's a story for another day. I'm sure there's an investigation there. Right, we will call it at that, and we will be back on uh, Friday, I believe. Yes, if we're left here. And until then, mind yourself, stay safe. All the best.